Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Ellie Perlman broadcasting from sunny California. Today on our special episode, I'm going to talk about is now the right time to buy real estate or should you wait? And I can give you my perspective. Obviously, everything that I say here on the podcast is my perspective from my experience and from what I see in the market as a sponsor. As a little bit of a background, I've been in real estate for over 10 years now. I started my career in real estate as a real estate lawyer back in 2007. And obviously, the year that followed 2007 was a very, very interesting year. And I've experienced the crash through my investors' eyes because I was representing them, you know, in front of banks. And that was a very eye-opening experience for me. And that's what really made me a conservative investor. Could be probably because I'm a lawyer and most lawyers are conservative in nature. We are trained to think of the, all the bad things that can happen and all the negative scenarios and how we can protect our clients from it. And that's kind of the mindset that I'm bringing to investments. I'm looking for every deal, all the things that could go wrong and how I can mitigate those risks. And only if I feel comfortable with my plan to mitigate those risks, then I'm purchasing. If there's no way to do that, then I'm staying away. Generally speaking, I'm a very positive person, but when it comes to investing, I am a semi-pessimistic. And that strategy, my friends, has proven itself to work pretty well because during COVID, our properties are doing well. And I think it's because I said no to many deals that many other investors said yes, because they were not so conservative. And then a little bit more about my background. After working as a lawyer, I switched to the very glamorous position of a property manager. And I learned a lot about how to operate properties. And that really helped me understand how to look at deals and how to underwrite them. And I went to MIT, I got my MBA degree and learned how to build businesses. And so that's what I do today. I'm a syndicator. I buy properties with investors and I operate them. Mainly I buy in Texas, Florida and Georgia. So back to our main question, is now the right time to buy? On one hand, I see a lot of investors sitting on the sidelines and basically saying, we want to wait. There's too much uncertainty. We're not sure what's going to happen. And hence, we are going to you know, sit on dry powder and not invest at this point. On the other hand, there are some investors that say, hey, now is absolutely the right time to buy. And I believe that that's true as long as it's the right deal. And here's some of my thoughts about why today it's still a good time to buy property. So first of all, you know, I want to start by saying that there's still deals to be made. There's still deals out there. 
about as much as we've seen pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, there were sales right and left, really, you know, tons of deals coming our ways. And we had to kind of, you know, make sure we focus on the right ones because there were too many to look at. And that was because a lot of sellers, because of the high demand for multifamily, a lot of sellers were motivated to sell because they made really nice profits when they sold the property. Now the situation is not the same. You have a lot of sellers that are pausing their sale or deciding to hold on to the property a little bit longer. So that's why, you know, we don't have as many deals as we had before. There's also some gap between buyers and sellers' expectations because buyers expect a discount because of the uncertainty. And sellers are saying, why should I discount my properties? The collections are high, cash flow is good, and they don't just don't take into consideration the fact that the, the lending you know, scene has changed. We're not seeing 75 to 80% LTV anymore. We see 55 to 65% LTV. So the lenders are lending less money compared to the purchase price, and that impacts returns. So we cannot pay as much as the sellers want to sell the property. So that's kind of the gap and the reason why there aren't many deals. But multifamily is still performing as an asset class across the board. If you read the news and you looked at reports, you probably saw that in the rent collections, was pretty impressive. So I was a little bit concerned in during March, the second part of March, when we understood that that's going to be an issue or might be an issue because the media was doing a great, such a great job in instilling fear in people's hearts instead of focusing. And that's basically my two cents on the media during the pandemic. Instead of focusing on Given people the right information, telling us what we can do to protect ourselves, what we can do to improve the economy, all they were really focused on is sell, sell, sell their media. And how do you sell? By instilling fear. And so they said a third of households or 50% of tenants said they're not going to pay or they're not going to be in a position to pay. And everyone freaked out. The lenders freaked out. So they're not lending as much. And well, thank you, media, for doing that. But in reality, numbers were completely, you know, different. So from April until today, and I'm recording this at the end of June, we have seen 93 to 95% of rent collections across the board in the US. Some properties higher, some properties lower. Ours were 95 to 99%, depending on the property. Others had lower or higher. And just so you understand, it's very rare to have a market, or I don't think there's a market that all properties basically have 100% rent collection. There's always that one guy or that those couple of units that haven't paid and they'll pay next month or the month after they're behind their, their pay. So 93 to 95% rent collections in the middle of a global crisis, global pandemic, that's really, really solid. You know, the cash flow from multifamily hasn't been fluctuating as much as you see, you know, in the stock market, for instance, where you don't really have, you can't predict what's going to happen. It's really hard to do it. And it's, you know, the valuation is also many times based on other investors' perspective and the fear that they have and what they're going to do if they're going to sell or buy. So multifamily is still performing as an asset class. And if you want to see the actual numbers 
per property and per month in comparison to the same time last year, you can go to NMHC. That's basically the National Multifamily Housing Council. They're a very, very large group, and I attend their conference every year. I think the next one is in San Diego, so right, you know, not so far away from me. And they have all the information about rent collections. So the fact that multifamily is still performing even today, that's one of the things that made us still look for deals even in, in today's market. The second thing I would say is that the likelihood to lose your money when you invest in multifamily is not very high. So unlike in the stock market where you can invest you know, $100,000 and that could be wiped out completely, or you can lose 30%, 20% of the value of the money, it really fluctuates. When it comes to multifamily, the likelihood of you losing your money is pretty low. When it comes to you know, your exposure and your risk in real estate and in multifamily specifically, I would say a more reasonable likelihood is that you're not going to make as much, your money is not going to grow as much as you predicted if your property is not performing. So let's say if you projected 7% cash on cash, and now you're making only five. I think it's still good, you know, in a global crisis to make 5% on your money with all the uncertainty. But, and this is my opinion, of course, but this is more likely to happen of you making money less than you thought you would. And that's what I basically see with some sponsors that are struggling. You can also make no money, but to lose your initial investment, that means that you're losing the property to the bank and you don't really make a lot of money after you do that. That's very, very unlikely. So I would say there's very low likelihood to lose your money, which makes real estate and multifamily, you know, an even better investment today. Now, before you invest, obviously, you want to see how the property performed during COVID and compare it to how it performed prior to COVID. So today, if I see a property that is struggling in, you know, from March until now, and collections, you know, went down, let's say 10%, it's one of those outliers, they have all of a sudden really high, you know, vacancy, then that would be a property that would struggle. And that's kind of a rule of thumb, because it could be also bad management, could be something specific that happened with the property that you want to understand. But Properties that even in today's market have been able to collect 95, 99, 98% of rents that their occupancy are pretty high, 95, 97%. I would say that these kind of prove themselves to be, you know, recession resilient. There is, you know, one part of, of my brain that says, yes, this is the perfect test. The other part says, but wait a minute. Again, as a lawyer, what else could go wrong? Oh, of course, unemployment benefits are going to, you know, are going to stop pretty soon. The end of the summer, then what's going to happen? And of course, I researched that because that's what I do. I like numbers and data. And I saw that some states have extended their unemployment benefits on the state level. So that would help tenants that lost their jobs pay the rents. And by the way, some states kept the $600 increase in unemployment benefits, even at the state level. So that's another interesting thing. If you're looking at a deal, look at the unemployment benefits, because it doesn't mean that they're going to end by the end of the summer. So that's something to, to be aware of. 
And obviously, those who took the PPP loan, the payment protection plan for small businesses, I mean, those loans were gone. I would say it takes about two and a half months to spend that money. So people that are still employed, that means that the businesses are still making it. Otherwise, they would have lost their jobs. Unemployment bounced from 20 plus percent to 13 percent. So we see something positive happening in the market. The other thing that I would say of why you should buy in today's market, and of course, not every deal is good and most deals are not good, but it doesn't mean you have to shy away from it. You know, the one main thing that you can still get if you invest in real estate is that you can still enjoy the tax benefits. And this is huge. So I can give you an example. You know, before I talk about the, an example, I, I'll tell you what I mean by tax benefits. And I don't want you to fall asleep. I know this is a very boring subject. And I get bored by just hearing the, you know, the, the word tax. But when I saw what it did to my bottom line, how much more money I could take, you know, home and not pay, you know, the IRS, that made me very interested in the subject. So when it comes to tax benefits, as multifamily owners, whether you're sponsors or passive investors, you can basically take the expenses and take the depreciation and basically show it to the IRS as losses. So, you know, expenses can be anything from replacing the roof, you know, investing in improving the interior of the properties and the units or, you know, painting it, whatever it is, all those capital expenditures. And then in addition, you have depreciation. So even though properties in good markets appreciate over time because the demand increases and the cash flow increases, the material itself deteriorates. So normally you have about 27 and a half years from the moment you bought a property. Every new owner has 27 and a half years to depreciate the value of the property. Now we use something called cost segregation or cost seg. Basically, we pay a company several thousand dollars. They go to the property, they check everything and they break the property down to different parts and basically say, that, hey, if you go by the book, the whole property depreciates over 27 and a half years, but the floors, they depreciate in 10 years, the windows in five years, etc. I'm just throwing the numbers out there because I don't really know the exact numbers. But the bottom line is that we're able to, instead of taking the entire amount of depreciation and taking the relative part of it every year for 27 and a half years, Instead of doing that, and, and that's not very beneficial because you can take a smaller part of depreciation. And also, we're selling properties after three to five years. So we don't want to hold the properties for, for 30 years to enjoy it. Instead of doing that, you're basically compressing the time that you can depreciate the property. So you can basically take a larger piece of depreciation every year. And so it's like depreciation on steroids. And basically, when you do that, you can show the IRS the income. This is how much I made. I made, let's say, $50,000 in profit. But instead of paying the tax on the $50,000, and again, I'm just, just an example. Well, I had the property depreciated and my share as an investor, because I have other investors in the deal, the depreciation that I can capture is $30,000. And let's say another $30,000 is in expenses. So basically, on a $50,000 income or profit, you can deduct the taxable income against the expenses and the depreciation. 
So now you have a loss on paper of $10,000, which means you're not going to pay tax on the income. And that's pretty huge. So as an example, we bought a deal in Atlanta in October. And for every $100,000 that someone invested, they got close to $75,000 in loss on paper because of cost segregation, because of the expenses. And so obviously they didn't pay for their profits and whatever they can't use, they roll it to the next year. So the fact that you can use tax benefits to deduct your taxable income from real estate and from other passive income, that's huge. That can save you a lot of money. And, you know, real estate is the beautiful mechanism. It's a beautiful tool. And that's what it allows you to do. That's one of the reasons why I think it still makes sense to buy real estate today. Now, I would say that before you buy a property, make sure you vet the sponsor. And part of vetting the sponsor, and I have another episode talking about how to vet a sponsor during COVID, but, you know, ask the sponsor how their properties are performing during COVID. It's more likely that a sponsor that has really, you know, hands-on experience and hands-on operations during COVID, that their collections are high, their occupancy is high, the cash flow is good, most likely that this sponsor can replicate their success in the new deal. If the sponsor is struggling with a property today, it might, may not, but it might struggle with the new you know, investment. So usually past performance is a good indicator of future performance. So make sure you understand the sponsor's performance during COVID. That's going to tell you a lot about how they manage their properties. Now, last words of advice, being conservative, like I said earlier, is always the way to go, regardless of the state of the market. I would say that before COVID hit, when we were in this long, long cycle of expansion and growth, I was very conservative and I was worried about, you know, all the deals that were closed around me because I knew that they were overpaying. I was looking at the same deals and it didn't make sense to me to pay as much because I didn't think that the expansion is going to continue. And sometimes you can pay as much for a deal if you believe that you can still increase rents indefinitely for five years, which, you know, that's not the case. That's not what's going to happen because... It might be a good assumption when you come out of a recession, but when you're in the middle of, you know, the strongest part of the cycle, it should end at some point. So assuming that everything is going to be as good moving forward, it's just not the right thing to do. And so being conservative is the way to go before COVID, during COVID, and after COVID. That's why I think if you're making the right decision, if you're staying conservative and you're not mixing emotions, you're not getting overly excited about a deal, but you're not also super afraid and, you know, because you can lose opportunities. I think that there, it's definitely, definitely a good possibility that you can find a good deal out there. That's what I have for you today. I hope that that gave you, you know, something to think of. If you want to chat with me about it, I'm happy to do that. You can reach out to me. Go to my website, ellieperlman.com, and you can leave me a message there. That's it for today, guys. Be bold, be great, and keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.